Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey friends, it's me, Jamie, host of the show. Yes, it's a Monday. It's not a Wednesday or a Friday, but we have two special edition shows that we wanted to bring to you. To say that 2020 has been a hard year would be quite possibly the understatement of the year. I think it's also safe to say that this upcoming election has proven to be a difficult event as well. There's so much hatred and disagreements around both parties. So many people have been canceling each other out because their decisions on who to vote for look different than theirs. Many people I've heard are claiming that if you vote for fill in the blank, then you're a real Christian. Shaming, slandering, bickering, it is all too much. Here at The Happy Hour, we wanted to bring you four conversations. We think these conversations are important and they're worth it. These conversations are with people who believe that we can be different than what the rest of the world is doing and acting and how we react to this election year. Listen, the truth of the matter is there are Christians that will vote for President Trump and there are Christians that will vote for Vice President Joe Biden. We need to be a people group that is unified by our belief in the saving grace of Jesus Christ more than our belief in the ability for a person or a party to save us. I asked my friends, Catherine Freeman, Scott Sauls, Amy Wolf, and Eugene Cho to join us on these two special edition podcast episodes to answer questions that you as a listener sent to us. Questions like, how do we vote with a biblical worldview? How do we have disagreements without dehumanizing our friends? How do we love our neighbors well when we believe two different ideas about how things should be? How do we vote when we don't 100% agree with the other party? Should we vote for a party based on one policy? How do we bring peace and gentleness to our communities when it feels so volatile? Those questions plus more will be answered in this two-part special edition podcast that we're calling Faith in Politics. We know that there will possibly be things in here that you wholeheartedly agree with and potentially things here that you disagree with. But let's all remember that critical thinking is welcome here and that we are unified because of Jesus and not because of any political party. On today's show, I sat down with my friend Catherine Freeman and then my friend Scott Sauls, and we had such a great conversation. You're going to enjoy hearing from both of them. For any resources that these friends of mine have to offer you, I will link them in the show notes. Here's my conversation with Catherine first and then Scott. Catherine, thanks for joining this conversation today. One of the things that I see a lot right now is politics and families, and those are really difficult discussions that people are having. And so my question for you that I would love for you to speak to us and encourage us is how do we love our families uh, in the midst of these political discussions? And then a follow-up to that would be a conversation that you and I have had publicly and privately about what we've seen a lot with racial injustice this year. Uh, This is not new to this year, just in case anyone just figured it out this year, but we've seen a lot of conversations about that this year. And I've noticed that that seems to kind of weave into politics when I'm not really sure that racial injustice is politics. So so how do we have these conversations with family members? Yeah, so I would say the first thing is that you are to love 
your family. I mean, when you talk about loving your neighbors yourself, that includes your family. But that doesn't require uniformity or sameness. And so, like, you're obviously not going to have the same view. You might not have the same views um, when it comes to politics. But um, one thing I always say is, like, prioritizing the relationship over being right. And then in the ways in which you engage in those conversations, are you kind? Are you loving? And thinking through the fruits of the Spirit, thinking through, there's like a great verse in Philippians where it talks about whatever is true, whatever is noble, because God does care about both the means and the end. And I think sometimes in this season, we lose that and we just think it's about the end. As long as my end goal is right, which oftentimes your end goal is just to get the person to think exactly like you do through the, through, about the issues. Um, but I think also, too, just giving people space to come to different conclusions. Um, they've had different life experiences. And that's not to say if something is wrong, you don't correct them. But I do think is the way in which you engage in correction loving and kind and graceful. The second question is, you're right. I think talking about racial justice is not I will say it's not partisan. I think it's political because I think being a Christian is political because, you know, to say that Jesus is Lord is to say Caesar is not. And so it is political, but it doesn't have to be partisan. And I think that helping people see, you know, whatever your political persuasion, whatever party you're a part of, how can you bring these conversations or racial justice into that conversation? And how can that be a part of how you engage in which whatever party you decide to affiliate with. So I would say it is political, but it shouldn't be partisan. Like being against racism is not partisan. Both sides, everybody should be against racism. And especially for Christians should be for the Imago Day. So that's what I would say to that. I don't know if that is helpful. It is helpful, but I want to ask you this. It feels very partisan. Yes. And I don't know why it does. And so I, I guess I would like for, to hear from you is like, how do we make these conversations not partisan? Because yeah. it does certainly feel that way in some sense of it at some times. Yeah. I mean, there's like a long political history of <laughs> why that is. Um, and some of it is by design and intention. But I would say for Christians, practicing being slow to speak, to hear what is actually being said about race and racism in this country and then thinking about politics. Because I think what happens first is we're in a season where across the board, everybody goes to partisanship first. So that becomes the primary lens. Even before you're a Christian, the primary lens in which you're taking in information and then, you know, deciding how you're going to respond to it is, you know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm an independent, I'm a Green Party person. And that determines where you land on particular issues. And I think what I'm saying is you need to pick up a different lens we need to recover some, as Christians, some language um, from Scripture and from the Bible of like, I'm going to think about this issue first as a biblical issue. And what does the Bible say? So that what I would encourage is like reading through Scripture about God's design for creation, about his heart for reconciliation, and then thinking, okay, this is my foundation. This is where I'm coming from. And then filtering it through a partisan lens. And I think, you know, as I said, there's a history of why we are where we are, where it feels like if you talk about racial justice, you're maybe on the liberal, more progressive end and not a Republican. But one, that has not always been the case. I have, I'm doing a history project for a class where I'm reading about 
Republicans involved in the Civil Rights Act in the early 1920s. And like, so where we are now is not where we have always been. Obviously, you know, Abraham Lincoln is someone easy to recall who cared about um, racial justice and, you know, even in his understanding was very limited. But I would say, yeah, so my big point is where we are is not, is not where we've always been. There have been times where both parties have been engaged in this work, but also as a Christian, make sure that the frame in which you're starting, and it doesn't just apply to racism and politics, it, any frame of life, anything you're doing in life, you need to start with scripture. And I think where, why we are struggling is that is not our starting point. I love that so much because I think the starting point for so many people is just which side of the table am I on instead of looking at it through a biblical worldview, like you said, which that leads me to my next question of how do we as Christians engage in this two-party system that if we're looking at it through a biblical worldview, I think that becomes difficult then to engage and pick a side. How, how, yeah. how do we do that? Yeah, um, I think it's important, you know, we live in a democracy. We have an opportunity to engage as citizens of this country, but we're also ultimately citizens of heaven. So there's a dual responsibility um, that most Christians are straddling. And I would say, going back to the lens, right? Like you can be partisan, you can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, you can be a libertarian, but that that is sort of a part of, or a tool, and it's not the whole shebang of how you're building the house, right? Like it's one, you know, it's maybe one nail or one hammer. It's not the end all be all. And I think reframing it in that way, because then that allows you to step back and say, well, this isn't working, or, you know, this isn't the only way to get this done. And I think oftentimes what we're seeing with a lot of Christians is such heavily partisan identification that it's like you can't even separate yourself, take a step back and say, well, this ideal doesn't necessarily line up with scripture or this doesn't line up with scripture. And then part of why it's good to be a part of those systems is that you can be a voice in whatever your political party is to say, hey, this is not the best way to bring about human flourishing. Um, And so I think having this sort of worldview where you kind of are a step removed, where you're engaging, and I think also too that the heart of your engagement, again, is based on biblical principles. So like when we see Christ and this idea of like he gave himself, he did not consider himself the same as God. So this sort of self-emptying, self-sacrificial love of neighbor we can engage in politics, not for our own self-interest, like what can I get out of this system, but for the sake of my ner- my neighbor's flourishing, how would I think about these issues? And then even once I enter into the system, not being so heavily identified that anything that comes down from the party elites on high, I'm just adopting hook, line, and sinker and baptizing it and saying, well, that's the, you know, God is fine with this or God is fine with that. And that's people's personal choice. Like, I think you want to maintain that level of separation. Which is difficult because I think when we look at issues through this biblical lens, which we all should, and like you're encouraged us to, and I love it, and not through just this partisan lens, and we're looking at it through a biblical worldview, here's where the difficultness comes in, Catherine. And I'm not asking you to tell us what to do or who to vote for or anything, but there are issues on both sides that I would feel are important to followers of Jesus. 
And so one of the struggles that I see a lot of people doing on both sides of the table is finding um, one issue, and then that is the only issue that they care to vote about. Um, and that could be immigration. It could be abortion. It could be taxes. It could be whatever. Yeah. And, and you know, on one one hand, I think that it's great if you're passionate about an issue, you know, and th- you know, that's, that's your thing. How do we engage in politics healthily, is that a word? Did I just make that up? How do we engage in <laughs> politics um, from a biblical worldview? Like I just asked you, but when we see both things on both sides, because if we're going to use a biblical worldview, which is what you just talked about, and I love, well, then what? Yeah. So I would say a couple things to what you just said. I think the first thing is politics is one means. It is one tool. It is not the whole toolbox. So if your issue is abortion or you know, Medicare or the death penalty or whatever, if you're putting all of your hope in ending that policy, reforming that, the work that you're doing is just the thing you do in November, you know, you know, people vote for president every four years, but like there are elections happening all the time. So if the only time you're engaged in that work is when you're going to the ballot box, you don't have a a good view of what brings about human flourishing. And you've abdicated your role as a Christian to do that work in your community in your neighborhood with your neighbors. And so I would say, whatever your issue is, I mean, I, you know, everyone is going to come to different conclusions about what their issue could be. You're not really, to me, engaging that issue. And even to the full extent of which you say you're passionate about it, if all you're doing to try to bring about any change or flourishing in any way is voting, because that's insufficient. Like you, there's, there's more to be done. And I think that allows you to be kind of removed from the work And I think God has called us to be sort of embodied presence is wherever he's placed us would be one way. And then I think, you know, also understanding that one, our government is designed for laws actually not to pass. (laughs) So you're going to be very frustrated if that's your one issue and all of your hope is in the government to to solve that issue um, would be, I think, how I would answer that question. And I think in terms of how do you get away from this, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I really, really am convinced the answer lies in recovering, you know, there's no doing the old things. You know, we think there's some new way, but I do think being in community with people, I do think reading scripture, I do think worship, I do think prayer calls us to come back around to where your hope ultimately lies and you can keep a healthier perspective on whatever work you're doing, even in the midst of crazy political times. It's so true. It's so true. One thing I'd like to ask you about is I know that you you just mentioned prayer and worship and community. And one thing I know that you're passionate about is prayer and prayer for our elected officials, prayer for the election. What are some like specific things that we as Christ followers, no matter what we do on a voting booth, you know, the Tuesday in November, what are some specific ways that we can pray for our elected officials, our president, this election? What do you've got for us there? Yeah. So I pray a lot for their families. I mean, this is so hard. It is so hard. It takes you out of the, sort of your family rhythms. Your families are adopted in. Their lives are opened up in some ways in which, you know, they didn't ask for. So I'm always praying for like marriages and kids. It's kind of like the pastor, right? Like, And the pastor's kid and like just being really intentional about paying, praying for their family. Um, so that's my one I always do. I also always pray for like wisdom. You know, they're making a lot of, even in their campaign, just in their campaigns, are making a lot of really difficult decisions, when to speak on things, when to not speak on things, how to speak on things, 
So wisdom and discernment. I pray that God gives them a servant's heart and compassion for the people that they're, you know, running to represent. That all for all of the people that they'll represent, even for people that they aren't necessarily won't vote for them because i mean reality is like it's not yeah for the president it is a job of service like you are serving the american people and so what does it look like to have a servant's heart in that work and just sort of to the extent it's possible like we can minimize pride and sort of our own self-interest and really be primarily focused on the needs of the american people yeah those are probably the top three that i'm always praying I think it's important for us to remember that in the season, because it can be very easy to think that we don't care. You know, like this is just so much. It's like, I can't, I can't handle it. It's too much to take in. And the fact that you're reminding us to pray for all of these people who are up for election, who are going to be um, potentially president, um, is a good reminder that we do serve God and Him alone. One thing that I want to ask you as we end this is, to say that this is a divisive time in our country would be the understatement of the year. Um, you know, you can't go far without hearing someone say, you're not a Christian if you vote Republican or you're not a Christian if you vote Democrat. And that's really bothersome to me, those ideas and that rhetoric. And so my question for you is, what is your encouragement to us um, to love each other well, even people who are voting on the opposite side than us? Because there, there are Christians who are going to cast their ballot on the election and they're going to be on both sides. Yeah. Um, and I think it's sometimes embarrassing for me to have the world see Christians speak this way of each other. And so encourage us as we go out here about how to love our neighbors well in the midst of this crazy season. Yeah. I mean, it is so difficult. I would say remembering that people are not who they're voting for mm, and good. remembering that God loves this person, that he created them in their image, and that even if you land in a different place, and even if you're feeling like, how could you do this, Um, kind of, because I think that's where a lot of us are now, to think about how Christ looked at us on the cross, how sometimes he looks at us when he thinks, you know, I've given everything for you. I gave everything for you. And he keeps entering in. He keeps, you know, he he's, he's always there. And that even in the midst of what is, in his view, definitely sin, and for us, what we perceive to be sin, God doesn't abandon us. And I think if we are to be his representatives, that we have to learn to love people through hard things. We have to learn to prioritize relationship the way Christ prioritizes relationship with us. And sometimes, you know, it's hard and it's irreparable. And I'm and it it is not easy. Like I think I say this and it's like, oh yeah, like, but you don't have to listen to my father in law. <laughs> yeah. You know? right. And I'm very sympathetic to that. And I think this is the thing. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Like I don't think personally, I don't think it's possible outside of the work of the Holy Spirit and him working on us, in us, reminding us, you're not perfect either. You've made mistakes. Like, and people loved you through that. You know, I think that's why we are where we are as a country is because, you know, lots of people, this is the end all be all and don't have that Holy Spirit. And so for Christians to recover the thing that makes us unique and to call on him to, do the work. I mean, to say, Lord, I cannot do this. I do not want to see or speak to this person because I feel like they've betrayed me. 
would you help me to love them the way you love them? Mm. And I just believe that God is, you know, faithful. And I've seen in my own life and my own family how God has just given me such a heart for compassion and to remind, to recall right when I'm ready to like write a family member off to recall that time where when I was sick, they called to check on me or they sent cards or, you know, made me breakfast or whatever it is. And then it's like, oh, wait, this person is not actually a bad person. We just disagree about this one issue and it's not worth it. I love it. Um, Thank you for that because it is so true. You are not who you vote for. Uh, That is not your identity. Your identity is still secure um, because of Jesus. Um, And you're right. God has given us the Holy Spirit and we can use him to do what he says he's going to do, which is to guide us and um, reassure us and comfort us. And so such an encouragement. Catherine, thank you so much um, for uh, your time today. And I pray that everyone that listened to our words is encouraged to love their neighbor well and to think through these political issues, not through two different sides, but through a biblical worldview. Thank you. Scott, welcome to this conversation that we're having about how do we as Christ followers enter into this election season. Um, I have only been alive for 42 years, but I feel like this is maybe one of the most crazy election seasons I've ever lived through. And I bet a lot of people would probably say that. What I love about you, Scott, is that uh, you are so pastoral. And I'm like, this is what I need in my life right now is I need this pastoral care and guidance. And so I first want to say thank you for the ways that you're speaking up right now in ways that glorify Jesus. So I just want to say thank you for that to start. Thanks, Jamie. It's a privilege to be part of the conversation. I'm so excited. You wrote an entire book called, it actually came out this year, actually, A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. And mm-hmm. I don't know that you could have known what this book was going to be entering into um, in this this upcoming year, uh, but I want to read something from your book. You talk about gentleness and mm-hmm. I feel like this is a fruit of the spirit that is difficult for so many t- so many people. And I want to read this. This, what I'm about to read, comes after a story that you told in your book that I found so profound that I had never heard before about Jerry Falwell and Larry Flint. Mm-hmm. And then you ended it like this. For if Christians don't go first in offering a gentle answer to those who oppose us, can we ever expect those who oppose us to make a similar move? And if Christians don't take the first step to humble ourselves and become less testy, less defensive, less easily offended, and less vindictive when we experience milder forms of opposition and criticism than the global norm, who will? Mm -hmm. I found that to be profound right now. And I would love it if you, you can reference that story for sure, but I would love it if you would just talk about how do we as Christians, how do we be different right now than the world and what the world is offering us in a season that feels so very difficult to offer gentleness uh, to the conversation? Yeah, Jamie, I'll just, I'll leave it up to people to decide whether or not they want to read the Larry Flint, Jerry Falwell story. You know, Larry Flint is sort of, he's a famous pornographer. I founded Hustler Magazine and there was this strange, unexpected friendship that developed between him and Jerry Falwell Sr., who's since deceased, but but I'll just leave the suspense there and, and interact with your question because I know we're limited on time. But I, I think really what it amounts to, Jamie, is that we become whatever we look at. Mm. You know, human behavior is contagious. Generally, if we're in a room and somebody starts laughing, we start laughing. If somebody gets sad, we our, our mood gets, you know, more somber 
and uh, we become or we take on the form of whatever or whoever we're looking at. And uh, if we're looking at cable news, we'll, we'll turn into a version of Tucker Carlson or Chris Cuomo. You know, p- pick your political side. Uh, if we're looking at social media all the time, we'll turn into whatever the loudest voices of our particular selected echo chamber or tribe are saying. If we look at Jesus, uh, we will take on the the form and the embodiment of the one who was both lamb and lion. He's both prophet and priest. He's got fierce qualities when appropriate. He's got gentle qualities when appropriate. But in a time like this one, I, I think, Jamie, personally, I think the greatest opportunity that the Christian church has uh, for faithful public witness and impactful persuasive public witness is to assume the qualities of Jesus who said he was gentle and humble in heart. Mm. Because that's so rare uh, in this climate. Everybody wants to get their words in. Everybody wants to be quick to speak and slow to listen instead of the opposite. Everybody thinks the log is in somebody else's eye and that the speck is in in our own eye. And the more we look at Christ, uh, the more everything gets put right back in order. Because the more we look at Christ, the more humbled we become uh, in terms of who we are before a great and holy and magnificent God, the more we, we look at Christ, we, the more inspired we also become to offer, um, you know, as Proverbs 15, 1 says, a gentle answer, which turns away wrath. And our society, our culture, even our churches are filled with wrath and division over conversations like masks. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's just crazy making all the things that people are fighting about right now. But uh, I think learning to become people of a gentle answer means just gazing on the beauty of Christ himself uh, who called himself meek uh, or gentle and humble in heart. Um, we become like Jesus, not by trying to be like him. We become like Jesus by being with him. And and so let's be with Jesus more than we're with our favorite cable news channel, uh, if we can. It's so good. You know, I, I have a follow-up question to that because In theory, that sounds amazing. And in theory, I think there would not be any Christian um, who is faithfully following Jesus that wouldn't say, yes, amen, Scott. Yes, I'm with you. But yet I feel like people might feel as though so much is at stake here, that there's no time for gentleness. This is Mm. urgency, that we need to be loud. We need to get our point across. Mm -hmm. And yet you're encouraging us to spend time with Jesus and therefore look like him. And that would be gentleness. Encourage us as we're listening that being gentle does not mean we just lay down and no, don't have no. any opinions. But I think that's what it people doesn't. would think that gentleness means. Yeah, I mean, I can give you an example in real time from from earlier today and last night when my wife and I got in a fight and it was all my fault. Uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But, but uh, who says that gentleness isn't loud? I mean, it's a statement because it's so different. It's, it's so counterculture. Mm-hmm. That is loud without being loud. Like it's 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 noticeable uh, in, in a way that that we don't even notice anymore when somebody's brash or rude because it's so common. Um, but it's noticeable when somebody responds like Mister Rogers in, instead of you know yeah. you know pick your aggressive person. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the biggest surprises that people express when they open up the table of contents to a gentle answer is the title of chapter five, which is Doing Anger Well. Um, and the question, and it's a legitimate question, how can anger and gentleness go together? It sounds like they're contradictory. 
until we remember that Jesus, who was perfect uh, and never did anything wrong, flipped tables over because he was so angry in the temple. He got raging mad at death uh, when he was standing at the tomb of Lazarus. He got raging mad at religious bullies. You know, one of the ways that he expressed his gentleness toward injured parties and bullied parties was to get aggressive with the people that they were bullying him. That's actually a form of gentleness toward the people that he's protecting mm-hmm. is, is by you know saying to religious bullies, you've got to go through me before you get to this prostitute that you're shaming, or you've got to go through me before you get to this you know, tax collector, this leper that you're, you're diminishing and marginalizing. You've got to go through me first. That's actually a, his anger toward the bullies and the aggressors is actually a form of gentleness toward the people he's protecting mm-hmm. and defending. Uh, and, and so in terms of conflict, though, and I think that's the big question for the day that we're in, because we're always in these sort of conflict conversations. Uh, this is something my wife, Patty, is really great at, attacking problems instead of people. And so last night I was rude. You know, we're, we're in the car and she asked me a question and I responded in a rude way because I disagreed with where she was coming from or, or, or was thinking differently than how she was thinking. And I responded rudely, just kind of in a snippy sort of way. And she didn't attack me. She attacked what I did. Mm-hmm. And, and she didn't say, you are. You know, she didn't make a statement about my character because we can't reduce somebody to their very worst moment. Like, that's yeah. one of the most unloving things that we can do. Instead, she, she said, she didn't say, you are. She said, that was. And then we engage in a conversation where she's essentially saying, okay, how can you join me to attack the behavior that, that you just had, you know, and, and yeah. it leads to, you know, reconciliation and, and all of that. But, but essentially, there, there are two kinds of anger. There's raging anger, which attacks people and caricatures people. And there's righteous anger, which attacks problems uh, while trying to bring people along with us. Even the people that created the problem, we try to bring those people along with us, like Martin Luther King Jr. did. Mm-hmm. He was attacking the problem of racism, the problem of discrimination. He was trying to bring the perpetrators of those things onto his side to attack his problem, the, the problem with him. And I think that's what Christ did, mostly. And so I guess I would start with that. It's so good because I think that's what gets lost a lot of times is the attacking the person instead of the problem. Because you're right, it's not a matter of we don't have opinions and ideas about what we think might be policies or problems. But yet when we start attacking the person is when it gets where we lose our Christ-likeness in that sense. Another thing that I feel and a lot of people feel right now is this unrest between Christians. This, um, I hear it said a lot, like if you are a Christian, you, there's no way you could vote this Republican. If you are a Christian, there's no way you could vote Democrat. And what happens there is I think that's a lot of shaming and name calling, um, but also it, I feel like it makes a lot of people feel kind of uncomfortable and left out, um, which brings a lot of non-peace to homes, to communities, to churches. Um, and in fact, You just um, wrote an article about peace recently. Uh, You said this in in the article. You said, everyone assigns a different meaning to the word peace. To some, peace is a calm feeling, an ability to relax, and a carefree life. To others, peace is the end of hostility, a white flag raised to end a terrible war. To others, it is something that happens when we avoid conflict, ignore, ignore faults in others, affirm and flatter and sweep it under the rug rather than challenge hurtful actions or patterns. 
Biblical peace is none of these things. Rather, biblical peace is something that we make by engaging in healthy, redemptive, life-giving conflict when necessary, especially with those whose actions and patterns are hurting us, other people, and or them. In fact, we know that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. What does this look like for us right now in October, November of 2020 of how do we be peacemakers within our families, within our communities, within our churches, knowing that there are different issues on both sides that people mm-hmm. feel very passionate about? Mm-hmm. I say just crawl in a hole for three months. <laughs> that's what I think too, but apparently that's not a good still, idea. <laughs> hope the world's still here. Yes. No, I, I think, you know, applying the peacemaker principle to 21st century partisan politics, again, go back to Jesus. Look look at Jesus more than you look at your favorite cable news host, a talk show host, or, you know, you know cheering or jeering at whatever the latest thing is that Trump said or that Biden said or whoever. And start with this. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Mm-hmm. Don't reverse that. Uh, you know, because the, the gospel thing to do is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That doesn't mean you don't speak. It means you're you're very careful and circumspect about the words that come out of your mouth because words have power. You know, whoever had said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, probably never got insulted or was in deep, deep denial because words can cut us deeply. I mean, words are so powerful that they put the whole universe into existence. God said and there was, right? Uh, You know, it's words that cause Lazarus to come out of the grave from the dead. Uh, So words are powerful. So be circumspect about our own words and be very, very quick to listen especially to opposing perspectives. And, and then the logs and specs teaching of Jesus, right? Um, in every conflict that we're in, the, the gospel thing to do is to assume that we're the biggest hypocrite in the conversation mm-hmm. and ask ourselves first. And th- this is a supernatural thing, you know, that requires the filling of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ to do. But to ask first, what am I contributing to this conflict? then I can remove this log from my eye and see clearly to remove the speck, right? Speck removal is actually a grace because if I leave a speck in your eye, Jamie, then, then I, 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 I risk infection in your eye, with, which risks blindness, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, speck removal is actually part of how the refining and sanctifying process happens in community is that, that we, we're safe and secure enough in the gospel and with each other through Christ to say the hard things when necessary. Matthew 18, Galatians 6. But I think in the political conversation, here's something really important to realize about our own blind spots. It's this. You can have, let's just pick a city, Austin, Texas, where you are, or Nashville, Tennessee, where I am. In your city and in my city, you can have an entire church in this zip code and an entire church in that zip code. And both churches have on their statement and require of their membership to affirm, I believe every book of the Bible to be the word of God, uh, every bit of it's true. Uh, we are submitted and surrendered to every word of the Bible. And, and, and here we stand, right? Every member in both of these churches in different zip codes believes and affirms that with all their heart. And in this, this church over here, almost 100% of the members could say, I don't know how anybody could identify as a Christian and a Democrat. Mm. And then you can go to the, the church over this, uh, in this zip code, and, and, and almost everybody in this church says, based on our reading of the Bible, I don't know how you can identify as a Christian and as a Republican. And what this means is either one entire church 
completely misses it the whole Bible and is 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 just not intelligent and and this church over here has all the intelligence and all the insight and this church has none of it or both have blind spots that are formed by their cultural and social situation we fool ourselves when we when we think that we come to the bible objectively and don't bring our own preferences our own cultural situations, our own unique idolatries based on our situation. And so we need each other. We need the reality of our differences to, to help open all of our eyes, you know, remove the specks from all of our eyes so that we can all see better. Um, now, I, I will say this, put a helmet on. Uh, if you go out and start saying that to Christian communities, put a helmet on. Because there are a lot of people in our churches that, that are much more eager to be discipled by a partisan platform than they are to be discipled by Jesus Christ. And so claws will come out. Well, what about, you know, what about black lives? Or what about abortion? Or what about, you know, this, that, or the other? And, and we can just so easily as Christians be so much more like the world than, than like Christians. Remember that Matthew and Simon were two political opposites. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon, the disciple, one, also one of the 12, didn't believe in taxes. He was a zealot. And somehow these guys lived and died together under Christ. Somehow we have no record in the gospels of bickering between those two about politics, even though the disciples bickered about everything else. And somehow uh, Matthew ends up being the one and only gospel writer who highlights the fact that Matthew was a tax collector and Simon was a zealot. And so there's something in there for us. Um, okay, so, so put on your pastor hat because that was beautiful. And I love the put on the helmet thing because I think we're seeing that a lot here. I'm hearing and seeing that so much that what I started this whole thing was, if, if you're a Christian, how could you? How do you pastor your people through that? How do you pastor them through the idea that we have to be more unified in something? Like we're not unified because of our political party. We're unified mm-hmm. because of Jesus. Tell me how you pastor your people through that. So I'll, I'll just tell you what I said last Sunday. Uh, I, and I keep telling our church, we've got to be different than the world. Our, our posturing has to be different than the world uh, if, if our witness is going to be, be a faithful witness. And, and ours is a church that, that has, um, you know, we, we have uh, the, the gamut. We run the gamut politically from, from the left to the right. Uh, we have a re- Republican senator and we have a Democratic congressman in, in, our, in our church and, and everything in between. And we encourage, you know, blue state and red state people to get into small groups together during this season, for instance. You know, we, we encourage just working things out face-to-face in conversation. But, but what I said to our church last Sunday was, let, think about every single State of the Union address you've ever watched on TV, Right. The president gets up, no matter what the administration, the president gets up and starts by saying the state of the union is strong. And then the rest of the speech proves that that's not true because every statement that the president makes, half the room stands up and cheers, the other half the room sits down and and jeers. And that's how it's always been in my 52-year-old lifetime. And what I think is that if there were cameras in all of our churches, which these days there are because of COVID and, and remote worship and online worship, but uh, cameras in our churches, let's say, you, you know, if you have a church that's 50% blue state and 50% red state in their leanings, Christians should be standing and sitting at the same time. 
Mm. You know, we should be standing for the dignity and protection of the unborn, whether we're Democrat or Republican. I think Democrats should actually be the loudest, Christian Democrats should be the loudest voices in our culture about protection of the unborn. Mm -hmm. uh, in the same way that I think Christian Republicans should be the loudest voices about black pain mm -hmm. uh, and, and about police reform, because we should be protesting the injustices in our own party more loudly than we're protesting the injustices that, that may exist in other parties. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Christians, we follow a king who said and who proved that his kingdom is not of this world. That, that the kingdom of Christ stands above, that he looks into every human political system and affirms what does intersect and overlap with his kingdom and critiques and sometimes condemns uh, what doesn't overlap with, with his kingdom. And as Christians, our, our alignment and allegiance has, allegiance has to be to him. You know, Bill Haslam was the, the last governor of Tennessee, Republican, also served on the board for world vision and fought for universal health care and, and, you know, which are, I guess, you know, yeah, historically democratic right. concerns, mm -hmm. right? And Michael Ware, who I, I think you and Aaron probably know uh, or have interacted with, you know, Michael is a, a very publicly on record as being a Democrat who is pro-life along with Justin Gimini. You know, the, yeah. the, those, those guys are, you know, they, they vote Democrat, they advocate mm -hmm. Democrat, but they're also very vocally you know, departing from their party with regard to the unborn. And yeah. so we, we need more of this in Christianity. We need more nuance, you know, that, that, that honors every member of the human community at the expense of no member of, of the human community as much as possible. So. I love it so much. I was going to, we've, we've touched on this, but you heard on Twitter, is you said if you're going to advocate for both the vulnerable unborn and the vulnerable born, consider wearing a helmet. For some reason, mm -hmm. many people seem suspicious of, if not angered by, a comprehensive life ethic. And you, you touched on this just now. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing a lot is, and you talked about the nuance, but what I'm seeing a lot is the fear of someone who might identify Democrat of speaking up about being pro-life or someone who might identify as being a Republican speaking up about immigration reform. And that's why I think it's so important that we look at these um, political systems as just systems. Like this is not where we find our allegiance or our identity. Um, it's not our home. And so I'm grateful for that. And I know you've been wearing a helmet a lot lately. So how's that uh, been going? Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm just hiding behind a computer. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is true, and I'm grateful for the for the nuance in the conversation. So, this leads me to uh, one of my questions. I'm asking all of our guests that are coming on is, how do we practically love our neighbors who will vote differently than us, or even think differently on different issues than we do? Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, again, it, it goes back for me to Proverbs 15:1 as sort of the marching order: uh, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Uh, we all know this, right? The first person who apologizes in a conflict defuses the situation, mm -hmm. right? And, and mm -hmm. yet that's actually the most painful, costly move to make in a conflict yeah. is to be the first one to be vulnerable, to say, I'm going to make myself vulnerable in order to rescue this relationship uh, and, and to love across the lines of difference. And, and I'm going to own my part in humility, a gentle answer and making ourselves vulnerable as Jesus, our King, you know, <laughs> made himself vulnerable. He was in very nature God, but made himself nothing um, and became obedient even to death on a cross. He, he became that vulnerable in order to win our hearts. And you'll never win an argument without winning the heart first. Mm. Um, like, like, 
I mean, Jamie, how many people, you guys have been in ministry, church ministry. You've been doing this amazing podcast for as long as you have with all the listeners. How many people have you met over the years of your life, you know, doing what you guys do, who have the story, I became a Christian because a Christian or a group of Christians scolded me about this part of my life. The answer is zero. Me <laughs> and shouted me down. Right. And you've met probably tens of thousands mm-hmm. of people yeah. and never met somebody with that story. Mm-hmm. But how many people have all of us met and known, including ourselves, some of us, that, look, I didn't care what Christians believe. <laughs> like, I thought it was kind of goofy, mm-hmm. you know, virgin birth, resurrection, yeah. walking on water. That sounds like not something that happens every day. Yeah. But then these people loved me like crazy when I was in not the most lovable place and they persevered and endured with me and they kept showing up. And based on the way that their lives were being lived, which is so different than I'm used to in other, you know, situations, I started giving serious consideration to the things they say they believe. And so, you know, Madeline Lingle has a great quote. Uh, She says, we draw people to Christ not by shouting them down and telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they can't help but ask the source of it. And so I think kindness goes a long way. I think there's a reason why Mr. Rogers is popular again, Mm -hmm. um, because everybody's just so parched, thirsty, craving that kind of kindness and gentleness, and, and it's in such short supply. And I think Christians have the resources to give it to the world. Scott, I love that. And I'm so grateful for your words. It's something that has been resonating in my heart a lot is that we have a unique opportunity always to show people um, Jesus and to show a better way. Uh, But I think right now we have a grand opportunity to be different, to be gentle, to be lovely, to be kind. And like you said, I love that quote, to show uh, the light and then talk about the source. Uh, Scott, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these conversations. I hope you were encouraged by them. I believe in them. I think they're needed. Voting is a privilege and it's an honor, but it is not our God. We serve one God and he deserves all of our allegiance. Friends, here's what I'm encouraging us all to do. Listen to those around you. Pray, think about the issues, and then do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Thank you, friends, for listening today. Next week, we have another episode with Amy Wolf and Eugene Cho. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. 
here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. <laughs> 